You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. You know, when I was looking over the scripture readings for this morning, um, getting ready to prepare this sermon, um, I did think about preaching on Zechariah, but that would be so unusual because most preachers never preach on the Old Testament reading. Um, but the only thing that I did want to just mention, I, you know, because the one thing that puzzles you when you hear that Zechariah or read that reading from Zechariah, it talks about mourning as for the firstborn son. And, you know, and, and if, when you first read that, you think, huh? But then you realize Zechariah is talking about what happened to the Egyptians on the night of the Passover. And remember the firstborn sons of the Egyptians were all killed? Can you imagine being the father on that Father's Day? Oh, my gosh, poor people. All right, anyway, so that's it on Zechariah. Now, um, I know a lot of you have um, either your Bibles or you've got a smartphone or whatever. You like to pull up the Scripture readings if you want to go along with us here. We're going to be talking mainly today about uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And, of course, I can't skip on Jesus's, you know, the, the lesson the day from, from, from uh, uh, Luke. Um, two brilliant men wrote brilliantly. It's kind of hard for us to realize that these guys were really, you know, they, they become almost caricatures. I mean, let's face it, all of our lives, we thought Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, you know, and it's just kind of like, these are just names. Um, Father Jeremy was kind enough to ask me to fill in for him here today. Also, I'm going to be filling in for him in September. Now, being Mr. Johnny on the spot, I've already looked at the lessons for this, the Sunday in September when I'm going to be here, so I'm getting way ahead of myself. And what I'm going to tell you is that there is a lesson there uh, in September. It's going to be kind of fun because we don't think of Paul. I mean, think about Paul of Tarsus, Okay. The actual Saul road to Damascus, Paul. You ever think of him as funny? Having a sense of humor? Well, in September, come back. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> There's a little tease for you there. All right. Um, now, seriously, I want to look at these words today that we had from both Luke and from Paul. Uh, because last Sunday was Trinity. Sunday, okay? So I'm calling this Identity Sunday because that's what these things are both about. Identity. Jesus. Who do the people say that I am? Actually, it's interesting because I think in Matthew it says, who do the people say that I am? Luke translates it as, who do the crowds say that I am? Crowds has a connotation of a wider group of people. It's more like, who does the world say that I am? Okay? Now, I like Luke. Um, there's a couple of things about Luke that I feel like I can have in common with Luke. Number one, he was a doctor. I'm a doctor. So I can feel good about this. You know, Luke is the only one that mentions that Jesus had a circumcision. The other Gospels don't say that. It's only the doctor that tells you that he had surgery. Okay? And I can tell you in the medical field, there is a well-known fact. And that is, when it comes to me, 
there is no such thing as minor surgery, okay? So this, so this was no such thing as minor surgery. The other thing I like about Luke that I can relate to is he's a Gentile. Do you realize the book of Luke is the only entry in the New Testament written by a Gentile? Everything else is written by Jews. Matthew, Mark, John, James, they were all Jews. Everybody's Jewish except Luke. He's the one Gentile. Luke was brilliantly educated somewhere, who knows where, in Greek. I'm no Greek scholar, but my understanding is that his Greek in the original text is the most accurate, precise Greek that we have in the New Testament. None of the other writers wrote with the precision of Greek that he did. I like this because I'm also kind of a word nut. Now, as I said, I don't really know Greek, but I do know that he's very careful in the language that he uses. And I'm going to give you an example right off the bat. Because he said to his disciples, okay? Now, the way that the, uh, that, that the Bible, the, the ESV that we read, the way it translates it is pretty much the way that all the translations have it. NIV, NRSV, uh, Revised Standard Version, King James, King, New King James, I don't care which one you will go to. They basically all have the same translation. When he turns to the disciples and says something in the line of, but who do you say that I am? You know, who do you say I am? But apparently in the original Greek, there is a very subtle difference that is not translated. And that is, there's an emphasis on you, such that if we were going to translate it in the way it feels in the original Greek, the way that Jesus would have said it would not have been just, but who do you say that I am? It would have been, but you. Who do you say that I am? See how it shifts the emphasis from just the answer to your interpretation. And this is where Jesus is honing this in on us. But us, who do we say that he is? That's what is being driven home here. Um, I'm going to come back to this in Luke, but now I'm going to skip over to Galatians and Paul's letter there. Another brilliant man, um, obviously a fantastic philosopher as well as theologian. You know, don't forget the reason that Paul was the one, well, as before his conversion, Saul was sent by the Jewish leaders out to stamp out this new Christianity stuff is because Saul was so widely respected for his knowledge, his thinking capacity. Of course, what they didn't know when they sent him out was this was going to turn back around to him and it was going to come back to bite him. Because that's what Paul does is he uses this kind of brilliant thinking to also quash a lot of thinking about the new Christianity that was not true. Okay, he wrote his letter to the Galatians in response to a very specific situation. This wasn't just a hi, how you doing, hope everything's going well kind of letter. This was written specifically to counter a group of people who were showing up in Galatia and trying to 
teach the new Christian church there things that Paul did not like. He did not agree with it, and he wanted to just nip it in the bud. The people were simply known as the missionaries. And, of course, you know, we like the idea of missionaries. My gosh, we sponsor missionaries. We think missionaries are great. But these missionaries were apparently guilty of trying to preach a gospel of syncretism. That is, a blending. And what they were trying to do was they were trying to tell this new church in Galatia that in order to be really good Christians, remember that Jesus was Jewish and therefore you need to be more like the Jews. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the Judaic laws, the dietary laws, the, you know, the, the Sabbath you know, religious laws, all these laws. You need, you know, yes, you know, but you need to do that if you're going to be a good Christian. Well, here is Mr. Jew of the Year himself writing this, book, writing this letter and saying, no, this is wrong. This is not what you should be doing. Let's take a look at this. Uh, we're gonna, let me pull out my notes here on this. Um, kind of take a look at this a little bit more like verse by verse. So he starts off, in, in this is in verse 23 of chapter 3. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Okay, the law was our guardian. The word in Greek is paedagogos. Now, that is the word from which we in English get the word pedagogue. And our word pedagogue means a teacher or a tutor. And so it's real easy to look at this verse and say, what a lot of people do want to assume about the Old Testament. You know, there's a theme that has always stretched through the Christian church. This isn't anything new. That, you know, when we have to ask ourselves, what's the function of the Old Testament? I mean, we're Christians. We're, you know, we're New Testament kind of people. Uh, so what's the function of the Old Testament then? You know, should we just scrap that part of the Bible? But the word paedagogos was used by the Greeks to indicate a person. Now, usually that person would be a slave, but it could be anybody within the Greek household that was assigned to guard the children, especially when they left the house, when they would go to a friend, when they would go to a relative, when they would go to school, you know, uh, down at the Athenium or wherever. Uh, that, that this was a person that was to guide them to make sure they didn't get off track, to just keep them on the path, get them where they were supposed to go. That was the role of this person, the pedagogos, a, a guard. So when, so when he says that this law was our guardian, he's not saying that the, law, that the Old Testament leads us to Christ. He's simply saying that the Old Testament was there to keep us on track with God, to make sure that we understood how to live a godly life and to stay focused on God, not stray off the path. So 
this has to do then with also faith. Um, notice he starts off, he, he mentions faith here several times in these first two verses. Now before faith came, and then we were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And then and Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Okay, faith. Here again. This one's a Greek word, pistos. And that's the way we always translate it here in the Bible, is faith. But the Greeks also used this word for trust. So think of this as now before trust came, and then we were imprisoned until the coming trust would be revealed. I'm going to jump ahead here and go back and, and, and tell you that near the end of this, he starts talking about Abraham again. Okay? Well, he's thinking about Abraham as he writes this whole thing. You know, what is the thing that marked Abraham? There was no Mosaic law. There wasn't any, you know, bunch of dietary restrictions for Abraham. He didn't have any of that stuff. He hadn't been told about all these Sabbath rules. So what distinguished Abraham? Trust. When Abraham was just plain Abram, married to Sarai back in Haran, he was the one who trusted God when God said to him, pack up the family, sell everything, and head off into the wilderness, and I'll show you later what we're going to do. That takes a lot of guts. That takes a lot. You, you want to talk about trusting? I mean, imagine doing that yourself. Just here, just pack up, just sell your house. You know, give up all your friends, do, all, you know, do away with all that stuff, and just hit, hit the road. I'll tell you later where we're going. You know, that's what marked Abraham was trust. So, when we talk here about faith, also think in terms of trust, because that's what Paul wants these Galatians to understand, is it's trusting that really makes the difference. Also notice how he describes faith. In other words, getting it. He says, before faith came, and the coming faith, okay? In other words, we think also of, the, we today in modern day English, we think of faith as believing, you know? I believe in you, I have faith in you. You know, use the terms interchangeably. But that kind of faith is a faith that we generate. That's a believing and a trusting that I generate in someone else. That's not what Paul is saying this kind of faith is. This is a kind of faith that, guess what? It's part of the gift from God. The faith that we get, basically through the Holy Spirit, is not a faith that we generate. It's a faith that comes from God. And he's going to finish this up a little bit later here in, in this one little section that, 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 that he's talking about. Okay. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Big stretch of thinking. You are all sons of God. Sons of God was the term used by the Jews from 
just the very beginning to describe their personal relationship with God. The Israelites were the sons of God. So it is a big stretch now for Paul to simply say, you are all sons of God through faith. And once again, remember, it's not their faith. It's the faith God has given to them through Christ. He now goes on to mention something that every one of them would have had a personal experience with, and that is their baptism. Because all these new Christians had been baptized there in Galatia, and he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The typical statement made during the baptism ceremony was that you are baptized in the name of Christ. Name of Christ. But Paul says you were baptized into Christ. You're not just rubber stamped by somebody as being, you know, okay, now you're a Christian. Now you're actually made into Christ. You're part of Christ's body now. Um, he says you've put on Christ. You know, the word also is used as you are clothed in Christ. Uh, you know, the, the baptism ceremony that they practiced back, back then, and for practical reasons, thank goodness we don't do this anymore, but they would strip naked, okay? They'd strip down naked, then they would be dunked completely down under, in, in the water because that was all ceremonial, uh, uh, an analogy of shedding your old life, being buried... And now, coming up out of the water, you are now a born again, and these people would put on fresh, white, clean robes, clothed in Christ. So, Paul is saying you were baptized into Christ, not just by, in His name, and you are also now, as such, you're clothed in Christ. You now represent, you are the, your characteristics are now to be those of Christ. This then, he goes on and uses the uh, binary opposition technique. Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, free. Um, he goes into this, and this was a typical, uh, 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 you know, technique, speech technique used at that time. Uh, Paul uses it in some of his other letters. Uh, he does that in, uh, I think it's in Corinth, his letter, first letter to Corinth. Also, um, it, I think it's his letter to Corinthians or, uh, or Colossians, maybe it is. Um, let's see, yeah, uh, you know, I think it was in, yeah, in, in Colossians, he says, Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. You know, that, that it, it, it's kind of a, I hate to say formula, but it's a concept that Paul repeats uh, in his letters. Um, of course, he starts off here with Jews versus non-Jews because that's the whole point of the letter. Is, you know, he wants these people to know that you don't have to become Jewish to be Christian because now these people that are Jewish that become Christians, they're, they're not really Jews anymore. You know, now we're all just in Christ. Now we're all just Christians, no matter what your background is. Um, it's easy to gloss over this and say, 
that that's kind of pie in the sky. Because let's face it, you and I live a daily life here on this earth. And there are distinctions that we make all the time. Society makes, everybody makes distinctions. We all know this. Paul's point is this is what's going on within the Christian church. In his letter to Colossians, um, which obviously isn't part of our topic, I mean, uh, part, part of our reading for today, but he, here's actually, I'll quote from him what he says in, uh, no, it's actually in, it's in Corinth. He understands that, yes, we want to think of ourselves as all just Christian. You know, that's the way we want to think of ourselves. But he himself wrote to Corinth, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. See, going back to Old Testament kind of guardian stuff. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bond servant when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you, oh, and then in parentheses, but if you gain your freedom, avail, your, avail yourself of the opportunity. You know, close parentheses. For he who was called in the Lord as a bond servant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bond servant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Don't become bond servants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called there, let him remain with God. So Paul is not just some pie-in-the-sky idealist. He understands we have to live on this earth. But he wants these folks in Galatia to know that their whole point is not to worry about getting to be more Jewish-like, that they just need to concentrate on being more Christ-like. Now, he finishes up here with a real sleight of hand um, in terms of um, how you interpret the Old Testament, and specifically Abraham. His final verse that we, that we read here today, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Okay? So you're heirs according to promise. Now, this flies in the face of everything that Jewish people would have thought and may still think um, about the issue of um, being offspring of Abraham. Okay? Also, now this is not a part of our lectionary reading today, but it's actually just a few verses back, same chapter, verse 16. Because here Paul makes a rather astonishing interpretation of several promises that were made back in Genesis by God to Abraham. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And what, oh, and actually I'll just read here. Here's what Paul says. 
Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, quote, and to offsprings, plural, unquote. Referring to many, but referring to one. Quote, and to your offspring, close quote, who is Christ. Paul is making a claim that in spite of what we read in Genesis, that offspring, remember, this is where, remember, God takes Abraham out and says, look up at the stars. Your children are going, your offspring are going to outnumber the stars. Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious what that means. That's a whole lot of people. But after the rule of King David, there was a not-so-subtle reinterpretation of the term Messiah by the Jews. And the Messiah was spoken then as the, not just the anointed one, but the offspring singular that was going to bring about the return of, however you want to say it, getting things right with God everywhere on the earth. Paul is actually using that later interpretation of the word Messiah here in this last sentence of what he says to Galatians. And that is, from that point, we all realized that offspring of Abraham referred to one person, not a multitude. And that one person was, is Christ. That is the offspring singular. And therefore, you're heirs according to the promise, which now says you're just as rightful an heir as any hardcore Jew could have ever been. You have just as much right to claim. You are a son of Abraham, a child of Abraham, and as such entitled to that position with God. All right, words, words, words. Um, even though Paul does criticize the law and its, and, and, and its um, the way it was being used here by these missionaries. In verse 21, he states emphatically that the law does not contradict the will of God. He simply points out that it by itself was incapable of ever bridging the gap between humanity and heaven. The law does not lead us to Christ. It helps us to understand sin our sinful nature and our rebelliousness and that is one of the biggest reasons why we still have the Old Testament in our Bible today. He also refers, I think this is interesting, to the revelation of Christ as a liberation from sin. Not Forgiveness. He doesn't say, he doesn't use the term forgiveness. He basically talks about it being that we are liberated from sin. All right. We're going to finish up, finally, with uh, going back to Jesus. And, and, and Jesus and, and the way that this is uh, enunciated in Luke. Okay? I told you, this is Identity Sunday. So for the Galatians, Paul is saying, what's your identity? 
your identity, who, are, who, who do I say that you are? You are Christians. That's who you are. That's your identity. Jesus wants to know what everyone is saying about him. When, Paul, when Peter answers him and immediately says, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. Christ is the Greek word, Christos. Messiah is the Hebrew word. They both mean the same thing, the anointed one. So Peter is simply saying, we understand you are the anointed one. And doesn't it strike you as odd that the very first thing after he says this, that Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't say, good for you, Peter, you got it right. Or way to go, guys, you, you, you figured it out. You know, that's not what he says. The first thing he says is, don't tell anybody. You know, well, wait a minute. You spent this whole ministry trying to show who you are, get us to understand. Now you say, don't tell anybody? You know, why would he say that? Well, the answer to why he would say that follows immediately when he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Peter was right when he figured out this is the anointed one where Jesus is bringing him up short is now define anointed one. What's the anointed one? See, we as today, 2,000 years later, we look at this with retrospect and it's obvious who he's talking about and what he meant and what it meant to be the anointed one. But that's not the way the majority of Jews thought of him. The majority of Jews thought the anointed one was the one that was going to return Israel to the ruler. It was going to reestablish the throne of David. Look what happened on Palm Sunday when he rides into Jerusalem. Oh, hail the conquering hero. Throw palms down you know, on the path in front of him. That's what they thought he was going to be. Jesus knew what he really came to do was not the pill that the Jews wanted to swallow. They wanted to swallow sugar candy, you know. And unfortunately, that wasn't what, well, it was fortunate. But unfortunate for them, that's not what he was there to do. So, who do we say that Jesus is? Paul says that we have been baptized into Christ. And this is where I start to feel a little bit guilty. Because if we've really been baptized into Christ and we really are part of Christ, then all we have to do is really believe it and act like Christ, be clothed with Christ. And by golly, we're saved. And in a way, it's kind of like I'm almost cheating. You know, it's kind of like going into the final exam and you already know what the answers are. You already know what the questions are. You know, it's like an open book test. Oh my gosh, thank you. Gee, let me, get, let me do that. I'll take that test any day. And that's what Paul is basically telling us we have. So, what's our identity? How can we identify ourselves? If we're really Christian, then... By golly, all we have to do is just take the salvation that's right there for us. It's just right there. Let's not be a stumbling block to our own salvation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.